Welcome to another episode of the CHL Top 10 Show presented by Kia. My name is Scott Van Kunit. In this week's episode, we talk about the Kubota Top Prospects game with Vancouver native and Regina Pats captain Connor Bedard. We find out what he's been working on to become even more dangerous, his favorite team to play against, and what it's going to be like to make his first WHL road trip through his home province of BC. Then, we get to meet Dante DiCaria, the man behind the mic of Regina Pats games, and find out what it's like to call Connor Bedard all the time. Let's get to it. Here's Connor Bedard. As promised, I am very excited today to welcome the CHL leading scorer and captain of the Regina Pats, Connor Bedard. Connor, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, let's let's dive right in. Uh, Wednesday. By the time this gets played, it's going to be a, a week Wednesday since uh, the Sedin twins were announced as celebrity coaches for the Kubota Top Prospects game. I know you're a big Canucks fan. So for you, how exciting is that to know that Henrik and Daniel will be there in Vancouver as well? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I was you know, super pumped when I found out and kind of, you know, texted you know, all my buddies from home and, you know, it was, uh, you know, pretty cool, you know, growing up and they were, you know, the guys in Vancouver. So uh, it's, it's awesome that, you know, they're going to be there and, uh, you know, obviously two unbelievable players and, you know, I grew up having a lot of fun watching them. Is there a, a, a particular moment from the Sedin's career that stands out to you? Uh, probably, I mean, one I remember was that goal against the Flames where Daniel went like between the legs and his legs moving to make sure that he kept that two on one. There's Daniel, what a goal! Patrick Daniel Sedin, what a beauty! What a tip pass by Henrik Sedin, and then just magic. I mean, this is like an exhibition right now. They're having so much fun. Look at that no-look tip by Henrik. He knew exactly where Daniel was going to be between the legs and up and over. I mean, it was like they were always finding each other without looking and kind of just knew where they were. So, I mean, I think they probably had you know, the best chemistry in, in, in history of, of hockey. So, uh, just there's so many, so many plays they made that it would stand out. But that's definitely one of them. Now, obviously, we don't know which team you're going to be on yet. Um, but how cool would it be for you to be to be coached by them, especially being a Canucks fan? Yeah, it would be, uh, you know, super cool. I mean, you know, it's always been, you know, a dream for me to, you know, meet them and stuff, just being being such a big fan, like you said. And, uh, you know, if uh, they happen to be coaching me, that would be, that'd be pretty sweet. And, you know, I think uh, you could definitely take a lot from them. Even if they're not coaching you, you're going to have a chance to meet them. Uh, is there something that you would like to, you know, pick their brain on to, to maybe put into, implement into your game? Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit. I think it'll be, you know, a lot of small talk stuff. And then, you know, I'll probably ask them a few questions and, you know, try not to bug them too much, but, uh, you know, when you're, you're meeting guys like that, it's, it's hard not to, you know, get some advice. And then on the, the other side, it's going to be Stan Smeal and, and Ron Delorme, another, uh, pair of longtime Vancouver players and now employees. Um, just again, pretty, pretty cool to have those guys there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a couple, a couple legends in in Vancouver and in the NHL. So, um, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy to to see that, and um, just those those names are so big and you know so important in in the city of, of Vancouver, obviously where I'm from, and so it's uh, definitely pretty special. And how much 
How much are you looking forward to it being in Vancouver, especially since you haven't been out there yet? I know you'll, you'll get out there later this month, but to, to get out there and, and be able to put it on a showcase in, in your home city. Yeah, I think, you know, I haven't thought about it too much yet, but, you know, for uh, the game here coming up in Vancouver, you know, I can't wait for that. And um, I mean, just whenever you get to go home and, you know, you have family and friends watching you and stuff, it's, uh, it's super special. I mean, I haven't got to go back yet in my junior career. So it's definitely exciting when it was announced to be in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be a pretty cool event. You're kind of crazy to think that you're already in your, your third season in the WHL. Uh, named captain this year of such a, a storied franchise. What did that mean to you? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I think uh, for me, when I came into the league, you, know, you hear so much about the history of uh, this organization. And, uh, you know, obviously you see the captain's board and um, buy a room and stuff like that. So that was, that was always a dream of mine. And, you know, having a guy like Logan Nyhoff kind of be that guy for the past couple of years and, you know, be able to learn from him and, and kind of have that role model. And, uh, you know, now that, it's passed down to me. It was uh, super exciting. And, you know, I, I don't take that for granted. Like I mentioned off the top, you know, currently leading the CHL with 13 goals and 29 points and just 15 games on a on a 14 game uh, point streak. So just shut out in that first game of the year. Um, how do you avoid becoming complacent? Yeah, I think uh, those numbers you say, you know, I wish they were higher. And you know, I think that's something for me. I always you know, I always don't think what I've done is enough. And, uh, you know, I think for our team too, we have, we're doing well right now, but, you know, we got to, we got to get more wins and, and that stuff. So there's always, always more goals you're pushing for. And um, I think for myself, you know, personally, I'm never, never satisfied with what I do or, or, you know, satisfied with, you know, what our team's doing, if it's not, you know, winning, winning games. So uh, just kind of, you know, keep, keep going and uh, never, never get complacent like you said. Obviously, you're always trying to get better. Um, you know, you're known for for your ridiculous shot. Are there other things that you would like to add to your offensive repertoire? Like, you know, we saw uh, Cross Hannes and and Stefan there last year doing the the Zegras uh, Milano play. Are you practicing stuff like that? We've seen you try the the lacrosse move a couple of times. Um, what are you working on to try to add to your offensive game? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd love a, you know, Michigan or something like that. But uh, for me, a big thing has been my, my one-timer. Um, you know, I think whether it's, you know, on the power play, obviously, or, you know, five on five, just, you know, you're, you get a soft spot and you just got to hit it right away. It's uh, something I've really been working on. And, you know, maybe, you know, a weaker part of my game is, is my one-timer. So that's something I've just been focusing on a lot. And, you know, after practice, staying out and stuff. So. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing I focus on in my, you know, offensive game to to improve on. Obviously, in in other parts of your game, you're always everybody's always working on their defensive side. Um, you seem to be playing a little bit more physical this year. Is that just, you know, just becoming a little bit older, a little bit more mature, or is that something that you're also trying to add to your game? Uh, yeah, I think a bit of both. I mean, you know, when you get older, it's uh, you know, a little easier to hit guys. You know, they're not five, six years older than you, so. Uh, but I think it's, you know, a lot about elevating my game as well. It's, uh, you know, something you can do as a, you know, offensive player is, you know, be good defensively. And, and another thing is, you know, be physical and you got to pick your spots, but I think it, uh, you know, gets the team going when, you know, I'm obviously not a big hitter. So when I can, you know, maybe make a check sometimes, it might get the, get the bench going a bit. Face-off percentage is up this year, you know, up to just about 55%. 
who is it that we, you know, I know you like uh, Austin Matthews and, and watching him for his shot and his release and stuff as well. Uh, is there somebody that you watch for face-offs or, or train with to try to, to become even better at face-offs? Uh, I watch uh, Ryan O'Reilly and, and Bergeron a bit with that. Uh, just, you know, guys in the NHL that, you know, are good at them, you try to watch a bit and kind of study. But uh, Nyhoff helped me a lot last year as well. So I think it's, uh, you know, hands-on stuff and then uh, just watching and learning. Who's, who's been the toughest guy in, in the circle that you've had to, uh, had to face so far in your dub career? Uh, Reese Vitelli, probably last year and on well, both years on PA, but I'd have nights where I was, you know, four of 18 on him or something. So uh, he was tough. What, what was it about him that made him tough? Was he, was he good at cheating it a little bit or, or just a little bit stronger? What was it? Yeah, I think it's everything. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a science when you're, you know, really good at faceoffs like, like he was. And, you know, I feel like he was always, always beating me, always, you know, a little stronger than me, you know, years older, but uh, I think it's just timing was so good and, you know, the way he kind of got his body into it. So you know, I try to learn a bit from, from guys like that. Now you said that, you know, you look at your numbers and, and you want to have more. And I've heard people say that, yeah, Connor Bedard, he's leading the, the, the WHL, he's leading the CHL in scoring, but we kind of seem to start to expect more. Have you looked back and kind of, you know, in the off season, there are, you know, guys in the Leafs that are like, oh, Austin Matthews could score 70. Have you looked to see, you know, the last guys in the WHL that have hit that 70 goal mark? Not that I'm putting that on you, but but just to, you know, you scored 51 last year. So to take it up another level, do you know who that the last person was? No, I remember we like on the bus or something, we looked at like, you know, league highs and stuff and like Ferraro had like 108 or something ridiculous like that. But no, I don't remember the last guy to score 70. In 1718, Jaden Helbelka walks. <laughs> he had 70 goals in 72 games. So that's the last guy, not that long ago, surprisingly. Yeah. Wow. Um, you're starting to get a chance to play against everybody this year, which is obviously uh, great. But so there are teams that you've played against a handful more times because of the bubble year and everything. Um, who is your favorite team that, that when you, you know, you see them coming up, you're like, all right, I'm going to have a good game tonight. Uh, I don't know. I think probably I've had my most success against Swift, but you know, I think uh, when you're playing, uh, you know, a team like Winnipeg or, you know, my first year, Brandon, you know, you kind of, you get excited for those games just because, you know, you're com competing against the best and uh, it's going to be tough. But I think points-wise and stuff, I'm pretty sure it's kind of Swift has been uh, the team that I've had the most against, but you know, I'm not 100% sure. You're bang on with that one. 15 <clears throat> goals and 29 points in 11 games against Swift. And coincidentally, that's who uh, who you guys play this weekend. So, uh, and I think it's nine goals and 21 points at home against Swift. So you, you, you feast on them at home as well. So it should be a good weekend for you there. Uh, yeah, who's been the toughest, <laughs> who's been the, who's been the toughest team that you've had to face and, and you can, it, we'll, we'll go with points, but maybe there's uh, one that you just find that they just play you harder than others so far. Uh, points probably Red Deer. Red Deer or Winnipeg. I only have one goal against Winnipeg and I don't know how many games. So it's one of those two. But uh, I think my first year against Brandon was was tough. They were, you know, big. Obviously, Schneider, McCartney, Greg, those guys. So probably the most challenging was them. But I think uh, for points, it's uh, Red Deer Winnipeg. 
Yeah, we'll give it to we'll give it to Winnipeg just because you've faced them more times so far. So yeah, yeah just just the one goal and and six assists against Winnipeg so far. Just, <laughs> uh, I think that's the I think that's the only team that you're less than a point a game against in the WHL so far. So that's not bad. Is who's your favorite guy on your team to set up? Uh, probably Howie. He's probably the guy I've set up the most. I mean, I've been playing with him for the past you know, year and, and obviously this year. So, I mean, I don't think I have a favorite guy to set up. You know, I think whoever's, whoever's open, you want to you give it to. But uh, I think just, you know, having built chemistry with him over the past season has been a lot of fun. And, you know, he gives me a lot of good ones. And, you know, I try my best to, to give him a few. Maybe who on your team uh, do you like to see to watch score? Just, I don't know if it's because of the celebration or just because you guys get jazzed up when this person scores. Uh, well, Mateo Michaels hasn't scored yet, so it'll be pretty exciting when he scores. So I think if you ask anyone on our team, he'd be the, he'd be the guy you want to see score the most. You kind of talked about it a little bit, um, or mentioned it anyway, the, the bubble year, uh, how much do you think that was a benefit to you guys and the rest of that, uh, band of draft class that you're with? Cause you know, you guys are all, well, not all of you, but there's a good chunk of you that played in that bubble year that are up near the the top of the scoring how much did that first season um help you guys yeah it was huge i think for for all of us i mean a lot of a lot of fives got to play and um you know even for for how coming in he he played a bit and you know all those guys you know got the chance to uh for me it was my well, i played a bit in sweden but it was just five games so you know you're, you're just training and stuff and you, know, you miss that games then you go into to a league like that with guys you know five years older than you and you you really got to learn how to how to play a different way maybe than you would in midget or bantam and stuff. So I think just kind of the knowledge of that has been, been huge for all of us. Do you have a, a favorite goal or play that you've, you've either a goal that you've scored or, you know, assist that you've had in your career so far? Uh, I think in the bubble uh, OT winner against Brandon after my, my grandpa passed away, that was, that was a pretty cool game. And, Recent left goal line, Ed Danemi in front. Bedard cuts to his right, shoots and scores! Connor Bedard breaks the deadlock 22 seconds into the second period. Evans back to Bedard in the slot. Snap shot, scores! Connor Bedard in his final game of the season wins it in overtime! Uh, you know, both those goals were, you know, pretty special for me and, and my family. How about, uh, I'm going to talk to Dante, um, later as well but uh how about a goal call that he's had of yours uh i think probably between the legs one was, was a good call i think he he told me he was pretty juiced so now over the blue line bedard high slot drag what a move bedard through the legs scores what a beautiful goal by Connor bedard in calgary Uh, you know, I think he's, he's proud of that one. And, uh, you know, this is a pretty good one. Do you ever, uh, do you ever give him the gears a little bit and say, Hey, you got to come up with something new. I'm, I've got something cooking here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's messed up a few stats lately. So, uh, you know, we kind of get on him a bit, but, uh, you know, he's, he's good. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's really good at what he does. Uh, how, just again, how excited are you for that, uh, the end of November road trip out to to do that BC road trip and, and get a chance not only to play in your home province, but to play those teams that you haven't played yet too and test yourself against them. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't wait. I think, uh, you know, all the, all the guys on our team are pumped and, 
you know, I got, you know, friends playing BCHL and stuff. So they're kind of all around, you know, where we play and, you know, probably get to see them and stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's very exciting. And, uh, you know, obviously, especially at home when uh, you got all your friends and family, like I said, so uh, we can't wait for that trip. And, uh, you know, it's always, always the most fun when you're, you're with the guys in, in the hotel and bus every night. So uh, it's definitely going to be, going to be a lot of fun. I hope. I know you like to watch NHL stuff. So uh, how hard has it been for you as a Canucks fan to watch this start for them so far this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I see you want more wins, but I think the first four games were, were pretty nuts where, you know, they look good up a couple of goals and then, uh, you know, it doesn't go their way. So, you know, hopefully they can turn it around and, you know, string some wins together. And if they don't turn it around, do you start to let your mind wander a little bit, like dream big a little bit here and think, hey, you know, maybe? I mean, I don't know where, you know, I'll go or anything. So, uh, you know, I've only played 15 games this year too. So uh, I don't really want to get, get too carried away with that stuff. And the and the draft this year, it's in Nashville. Um, I know the, the first time we talked, you had never been to Regina. So is it safe to assume you've never been to Nashville? I've been to Nashville twice, actually. So really, probably one of my favorite places that I've been to. It's uh, you know I got to go to a game there too. It was you know it's electric the playoff game. They got the they got the car in front that you you beat with the the axe and stuff. So uh, it was a really cool city. I mean, obviously all the country music and stuff. So uh, it's definitely a good spot for it. You're a country music fan? Not like huge, but, you know, going there and, uh, you know, seeing the passion for it. We were right by, I forget what it's called, but it's a big, big place for it. And, uh, you know, you kind of go tour that stuff. So it was uh, a lot of fun. Well, Connor, I'm not going to take up any, any more time. I'm sure we'll talk again probably after uh, prospects rosters are announced. So thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. It is time to put a face to the name behind the many calls of Connor Bedard goals and the Regina Pats. It is Dante DeCaria. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to, uh, to chat with you, to, to get to know you and, and, and have people get to know you a little bit better. Uh, obviously we've, we've heard your calls. Uh, this is, you know, we're into the second season of, of you calling Regina Pats games, but uh, maybe, Maybe take us through a little bit on on your journey to becoming the play-by-play voice of the Regina Pats. Well, it's a long journey for somebody who's just turned 25 years old. I mean, I started doing stuff in this business when I was 15, 16 years old with a couple of high school co-ops. I remember doing my high school co-op in grade 12 at TSN 1200, who carries the Ottawa 67s games. And I think that's where I really started to get interested in play-by-play. Kenny Walls, the voice of the Ottawa 67s, I had an opportunity to do my co-op under him. And, uh, you know, I always thought it was really cool that he was calling hockey games and stuff like that. So I think that's where it first started. And then obviously I went to post-secondary school. I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa, and I started calling Junior A hockey at the campus, uh, community campus station there, doing Junior A and Junior B hockey. And I had a lot of fun I think some of my fondest memories are doing junior A and junior B for four years from age 17 18 to age 22 and then you know I made a step and went to the British Columbia Junior Hockey League for a year with the Power River Kings and 
then, you know, my next place was here in Regina, but, you know, I wasn't just doing hockey. I have a lot of baseball experience as well. Um, you know, I uh, worked for the Toronto Blue Jays as a baseball media intern in 2017. I broadcasted for their class A affiliate, uh, worked for a couple other pro teams. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun journey and I'm really happy to be here with the Pats and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, honor to call Connor Bedard's games uh, over the last two years. When the opportunity came up and you saw that it was, you know, the historic Regina Pats franchise, uh, how easy was it to make that decision to to try to make the jump to to Regina? Well, it was quite an easy decision for me because it wasn't really about calling Connor Bedard's games, to be quite honest with you. It was about calling games in the Western Hockey League and helping gain more experience for myself and getting better to eventually get to the NHL, which it's everyone's goal is to get to the NHL. But for me, I was also looking for a new challenge. Um, I was also looking to move, uh, you know, away from home. Unfortunately, COVID, you know, was kind of a roadblock for me and it was a very difficult year for myself. So I just wanted uh, something else to do to kind of, uh, you know, get my mind off all the tough times that I'd had over the last couple of years. So, I mean, I, I believe I'd reached out about the job or applied for the job, I think, uh, right at the start of the pandemic. And then obviously they only had the hub season, so they didn't end up hiring anyone. And then the job had reopened, I guess, two summers ago now. And uh, I put my name back in the hat again and went through the interview process, which was uh, a pretty uh, good experience for myself. Um, either way, even if I didn't get the job, I was, I was pretty happy with how the interview process has gone. And then uh, when they had told me I got it, I think I was here in two weeks and um, I was working with Connor. So it's, uh, it's been a fun last, I guess, year and a half or so. Connor might not been the selling point, but certainly the, the cherry on, on the top of the Sunday. No, it definitely was. I mean, like a lot of people, I don't think believe me when I say this, to be quite honest with you, Scott, but it's, it's that I wasn't coming here just to call the first exceptional status player in WHL history. I wanted, I wanted an opportunity in the WHL. My goal was always to call major junior, whether it was in the OHL, I grew up as a Kingston Frontenacs fan, not an Ottawa 67s fan. And when I was younger, I always said to my mom, I always said, I want to call Frontenacs games. And sure enough, now I'm in the WHL, but I couldn't be more happy to, to be in the WHL. I think it's a great league. I really enjoy, you know, going to the various different cities like Prince Albert, you know, Moose Jaw, those types of rivalries. It's a lot of fun. And to be able to call games in the Saddle Dome or Rogers Place at Edmonton is definitely a treat as well. But you know what? Like, um, it's fun calling Connor's games. He keeps me on my toes. Um, I think he actually makes me a better broadcaster, to be quite frank. And one of the reasons is, is because whenever he has the puck, I know I have to be ready, right? So you never know what he's going to do. Like there's, I find hockey when you're calling games can be very predictable, at least at the lower levels. That's what I enjoy about calling major junior. It's not just dump and chase. There's a lot more creativity in these players, as well as say junior B or junior A. Um, the guys don't necessarily have as much skill. So they get the puck in deep and they just kind of stick to that, their bread and butter. Whereas here with guys like Connor, even last year with, you know, Dylan Gunther and so on and so forth you as a broadcaster are kept on your toes because there's so much more creativity with these players. So every time Connor has the puck or really any other player in the WHL, you know, yeah, something special could happen. I also always like to say that uh, chaos can always happen because mistakes yeah. are made. So you, you're right. You can't predict what's going to happen. So how do you yourself, you know, prepare? How do you train? Uh, we know how the players train. How does the play-by-play -play voice train? Well, to be honest, I try to, really blackout like people kind of are very they always ask a lot of questions like how are you able to blackout during games and 
I don't really know how I do it, but I really try to meditate and prepare my mind for a broadcast. And obviously there's a lot of other duties that come with the job, but I want to make sure that all those duties are done. All the media stuff is done so that say two or three hours before puck drop, other than my pregame interviews with both coaches, I'm, I have everything done and I can just kind of relax before the game. So I always try to clear my mind. I always try to make sure I'm really focused and locked in. I feel I'm at my best when I'm not thinking about anything else but the game. I think I do a really good job at that. Um, when I'm not doing that, that's when I feel like I'm not at my best. But yeah, there's a couple of different things that I do before games. Uh, to, I listen to a lot of music um, to kind of lock myself in. I'm really only thinking about the game at hand, but I also kind of prepare myself ahead of the game with what I'm eating before the game. I know it's kind of crazy to think that, but um, I did take voice lessons when I was younger because I don't, I mean, my voice has changed over the years. So um, the one thing I learned with that was that you have to eat properly uh, prior to games to make sure that you, you have everything you need to call a good hockey game, because it is a lot of talking, right? So um, there's, there's different things that I like to avoid. I try to avoid dairy. I try to avoid, you know, eating cheese or salty foods or anything that's kind of give, you know, anything acidic. Um, fast food is definitely a no-go. So I try to, I think it's good. I try to eat healthy, lots of vegetables, nuts, um, sometimes soup, uh, chicken, rice, um, anything that's going to, give me the best uh, or prepare me the best to have a good broadcast. Yeah. The last thing you want is to get a hoarse voice right in the middle yes. of a, a spectacular play or something. Are there, are there any play-by-play -play guys or um, color guys that you look up to that, that you like to, you know, take little bits of, of what they do and, and try to incorporate it into, into your game? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm pleased to say that I've had an opportunity to learn from these from these people and that my favorite broadcaster growing up was Gary Thorne and I loved his call the Paul Korea goal that was that's my favorite goal call of all time into the zone Sakura kicked it out got it back near side Korea Korea the fans want one now obviously what happened with the hit and so on was is something that doesn't happen anymore for the better of the game but um, I always really enjoyed um, I think it probably had to do with the NHL video games that he was the voice in those NHL video games, him and Jim Houston. So that's where I probably got accustomed to his voice. But, and then as I started to get older and I wanted to do that, I would just kind of play his highlight reels over and over and over from his calls in the, in the nineties and the two thousands, his calls in the Stanley cup playoffs and, and stuff like that. So um, he was uh, somebody that I really looked up to. And when I interned with the Jays, he was the voice of the Baltimore Orioles on TV. So I had the opportunity to meet him, send him my tapes and um, learn from him. And uh, um, he really kind of flipped the switch for me, to be quite honest with you. I was 19 years old when I met him and I had the opportunity to send him my stuff. And uh, he told me what I had to work on at the time. He said it wasn't good. And um, I took that as motivation to get better. I told him I would work on everything that uh, he had asked me to work on. And a year later, I'd sent him my stuff again. And he said that um, I had done everything that he had asked me to do. So he was probably the first guy. Um, there's so many others. I mean, I've had the opportunity to be, become close friends with Jerry Howarth, who was the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, obviously, that's a different sport, but he really helped me become a much better broadcaster and a better person because he's just so humble. And the way he carries himself is, I think, the way everybody should carry themselves. And Dan Shulman was someone else that I had the opportunity to learn under, and I had the opportunity to call games with his son, Ben. So that was an absolute honor to, uh, to do games with him and, and to learn from Dan when I was younger. But um, I guess for the rest of the hockey broadcasters, um, you know, Jim Houston is obviously somebody that I really like. And, um, you know, uh, John Shorthouse as well, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, somebody like, you know, RJ Broadhead, we talked about him off mic. Like there's so many guys 
I, like, I don't say that I try to model myself after them, but I'm always trying to take little bits and pieces from them. Sure. I think the number one thing for me is um, just their vocabulary. Cause I find when I'm in the booth, I'll get really frustrated myself if I become repetitive because obviously, you know, hockey can be a little bit of a predictable, uh, predictable game in terms of, you know, dumping the puck in, getting the puck out, getting the center ice power play. It's kind of the same style, right? Other than rushes, you really know what's going to happen, right? You're always trying to get the puck to the blue line. You're trying to get the puck in deep. So um, I find when I become repetitive, I'm using the same things to describe what's happening. I kind of get a little bit annoyed with myself and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to annoy the listener. I'm saying the same stuff. So I try to listen to those guys, you know, like um, my favorite for vocabulary is actually Jack Edwards. And I don't know, I, I know a lot of people don't like him because um, he's a homer and so on. Well, they think he's a homer and the way he calls games. But to me, his vocabulary actually stands out the most to me. And, and that's why I try to watch him. I try to listen to his broadcast. So I know I listed off a ton of guys, but I can't say that I model myself after one guy, but say, you know, I look at Gary Thorne and the energy and his goal calls. I look at Jim Houston and his tone and how he called the game and Jack Edwards and vocabulary. And I kind of mush it all into one. Well, you mentioned, uh, Homer, how, do, how do you avoid, um, coming off as, as a Homer for lack of a better term right now? You know what, like Scott, I think about it all the time and it's, it's a difficult question to answer, to be quite honest with you, because, I don't really think twice. I just, this is just who I am as a broadcaster. I called the game the way I, I think it should be called and how I've been taught by my mentors and people that have got me where I am today. So like, I don't know if I have a really good answer for you right there. I don't actually know what the answer is to not be a homer. I just, I just kind of just go with the flow. I do what I think's best. Now, I mean, obviously being the voice of the Pats, um, I'd like to see them win games because it's a lot more fun when they're winning games and Connor Bedard scoring goals and stuff like that. And I hope that they're able to, you know, make a big playoff push this season. But uh, at the end of the day, um, I, it's a service to the fans as well. And they have to, when they're tuning in, they want to know what's happening. And I think my job as the broadcaster, it's not about me. It's about what's happening on the ice. So I have to do the best job to paint the picture for the listeners so that when they're listening to the game, they have a good feel and understanding of what's happening. So uh, a lot of the time, what I'll do is I'll use the, maybe the tone of my voice or, what I'm talking about in terms of stats and 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 um, and and what is happening on the ice to allow the listener to kind of make their own opinion on on what they think of the game. Obviously, it's different if you're watching or listening, but I think if I paint the best picture possible, the listener can kind of make their own theory or opinion on what they thought of the game. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of games uh, across the CHL over the years, and there's nothing worse than a nice goal being scored and it being the visiting team. And then it just, the life gets sucked out of the goal because of a bad call for it. Um, you mentioned trying not to be repetitive. Are you, are you constantly reading different things or, or, you know, looking at the thesaurus to, to come up with different ways to describe stuff? You know what? There's um there's a friend of mine, Evan Hammond, who's the voice of the Alberni Valley Bulldogs in the British Columbia Junior Hockey League. And he said he used to read the thesaurus all the time because I asked him, I said, how is your vocabulary so strong? And he's actually one of the strongest that I've ever had the opportunity to meet and to listen to. And he does a fantastic job with that. And he said he would read the thesaurus and so on and so forth. Um, I have gone on the thesaurus on the internet to try to find out different things. Um, one of my mentors when I was in Lansing with the Blue Jays Class A affiliate at the time, now Athletics, um, he actually wrote a baseball thesaurus and he's actually tried to encourage me to 
put together a list of hockey terms for a hockey thesaurus. So uh, I haven't got there just yet. It's definitely probably something on my bucket list. Obviously, I haven't had a ton of time to, to think about it just yet. But no, I, I just, um, you know what, like sometimes in the spur of the moment when you black out, you listen back to the game and you go, man, I said that, like, where did that come from? And then you maybe do a little bit of research on that word and you go, ah, that didn't make sense. Or yeah, that probably made sense. And then you're like, I'll add that to my toolbox. So yeah, like, I, I can't say that I've read the thesaurus to, to a T. <laughs> I have obviously done a little bit of research, but I think a lot of it comes with just a little bit of flow and being and, and things coming natural um, and kind of watching, you know, NHL broadcasters on what they use to describe different things. Like, for example, um, like the when the boards come up to the glass, if a guy ring, rims the puck around the dasher, well, it's called the, it's called the dasher, right? Right. Instead of saying he rims it around the boards all the time, you can say it goes around the dasher or sends it around the glass. So you can just find right. different ways to describe how the player's dumping the puck in. Now, the other the other thing that uh, as as a fan that watches as, as an employee that that watches and listens that that gets under my skin um, is mispronunciation of names. And, um, you know, there are some tricky names out there. So. First, how do you go about making sure you're saying names properly? And maybe what's one that when, you know, you're, you're, you're about to have, like they're either visiting the, the Pats or you guys are visiting them and you're just like, oh, this one's going to give me fits tonight. I, I think last weekend I was kind of like stressing before the game because it was the first time in my career and it's going to be the only time until next season that you see the American clubs, right? So um, Tri-City came to town and um Everett came to town and I'm like, oh boy, they got a lot of tough names. Um, what I do, obviously I talk to the other broadcaster to make sure everything's right. And I'll kind of rehearse it a couple of times, but um, I try to write it out, not off the pronunciation guide, but on like write it out the way I see it. So that way I can look down and I'm like, okay, I know how to say it this way because that's the way I see it. I think after one game or say one period, you really get a used to it and then you're just fine. But yeah, pronunciations are really important. I mean, I try to, like, I think usually when you see a team for the first time and you're not sure, you just go talk to the other broadcaster and make sure you have everything down pat. And that's definitely one of my, you know, my list of things to do prior to a game. Okay, well, let's go back to, uh, let's go back to the man, the, the star, Connor Bedard. Um, you know, he wasn't the, the selling feature for you, but how much did you know about Connor before you joined uh, the Pats organization? Honestly, not too much. I just knew that he was the first exceptional status player in WHL history. I knew that he had been playing in Sweden and I knew that um, he had taken the WHL by storm as a 15 year old in that shortened, you know, COVID season. So I knew just as much as that. It was actually most of my friends that were kind of filling me in on him because uh, to be quite honest with you, Scott, like I hadn't paid too much attention to hockey from I'd say 2020 to when I started this job. I just kind of wanted like during COVID, I just wanted to break from everything. And I just kind of uh, tried to do other different things. Um, it was it was a difficult time. It's, you know, being in Ottawa, there was a lot of restrictions and stuff like that. And um, I was going through some some personal stuff. So I just decided just not to follow hockey too much because it was, you know, it was upsetting. Um, you know, I'd gone back home. Um, I was trying to get, you know, a, a job in hockey again, and um, it just just wasn't really the time to kind of really pay fully attention. So I just decided to take a break from everything. So I didn't honestly know too much about Connor, 
but um, I, I couldn't be more than happy to be around such a fantastic individual and all the players on this team, not just him. I don't want to just say that he's the only good guy that I've had the opportunity to deal with, but he is a fantastic person. His family is, is unreal. He's been raised properly by his mother and his father. Just, just great people. And to me, that's what I value the most, not just him as a hockey player, but just the way he treats individuals around him. So what were, you know, when, when you first got to watch him on the ice, you know, you spend that first season with him, what he, you know, by his standards, he got off to a, a slow start last year. Um, yeah. You know, he ended, ended the season really strong, but I, at the start of the year, um, you know, were you seeing different things in practice that maybe he was doing on the ice or were you thinking, geez, was he a little bit overhyped here until he turned it on? <laughs> No, I don't think he was overhyped at all. And there was a lot of people asking me like, man, I think at one point he had 15 points in 20 games and then he finished the rest of the season. Uh, it would have been, well, 50, he would have 85 to finish the rest of the season, which is just ridiculous, right? And I don't think he was overhyped at all. I think that the hype is quite granted to be, to be honest with you. Like he was averaging like seven to eight shots on net per game. He was creating the most scoring opportunities. If you ask the analytics guys here with the pads, they'll tell you that he was still the best player on the ice. Like it was just only a matter of time before he really started to just tear it up, which he did. Now it's crazy. Maybe if he would have had a little bit of point, more points to start the season, he would have led the league in goals and in points as a 16 year old, which is just ridiculous. But uh, no, I thought he was playing really well to start the season last year, despite not getting the results. Um, there was a coaching change made in November and um, he took off shortly after that. Yeah, as soon as he got back from uh, from that performance at the the cancelled World Juniors, um, and then he had uh, just was it uh, hat trick in his first game back, four goals in his first four game goals. back. Yeah, yeah. so overtime then, winner then, as well. Yeah, and then he didn't look back after that. So, um, how is he uh, through your eyes anyway? What changes have you seen in him um, from last year to this year? You know, it's tough to say. I've been asked that quite a few times this year on different interviews that I've done. I've asked myself that internally. I don't know if much has changed. I think he's just bigger, faster, and stronger. Like he is playing more physical. I know you talked about that with him and you're definitely right about that. I think you hit the nail on the head right there, but like he gained a little bit of weight. He's 185 pounds. Now he grew two inches. He's 5'10", right? I think he'll probably maybe get 5'11", six foot, but like he is strong. Like he's got big calves. He's got, you know, a wide, uh, wide body up front. Like, and he's just incredibly strong. If you watch him walk around, like the veins are popping out of his arms. Like that's how hard, and he trained really hard in the off season. He's also been better on the face off dot as well. He's improved defensively. He's become a much better player away from the puck and his offense, you know, just keeps getting better and better because he is, he's a student of the game. Just like I like to say that I'm a, you know, a student of the craft of broadcasting. He's a student of the game is that he's always watching video on guys like Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane and so on and so forth on what they're doing, how players are evolving their game with their shot. And he does those types of things. You know, I told him this last year. I don't think he liked when I said this um, because he's just a humble kid, but when you watch the last dance or you watch interviews with Kobe Bryant, obviously before he passed away, Michael Jordan, to me, he has the same traits and personalities as those two alphas. And the reason why is because they practice so hard and it resulted in their play, obviously on the court with Bedard on the ice. Connor Bedard, you have to yank him off the ice. He will stay out there for hours and hours and hours if you let him just to shoot pucks, right? Like that's how hard this guy works, not only in the gym, but also on the ice as well, right? Like he will probably shoot, I don't know, 500 pucks a day because he knows that that's the only way that he's going to improve his shot 
right? So he has the same mentality as guys like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. You look at the stories of Kobe Bryant, who's one of my favorite athletes ever, is that he was showing up to practice on and improve his craft at like four in the morning. And then he would take a break and then he would shoot more, work out, take another break, shoot more, work out, go to sleep and do the same thing all over again. That's the kind of guy Connor Bernard is. Yeah, uh, read things where players that have played with Sidney Crosby say that he still trains like there's another level to get to, like another league that's above the NHL. So uh, sounds similar to, to Connor in that sense. Um, how does that, you know, his work ethic, how does that push the rest of the guys on the team? He drives this team. Like when he is on, the whole team is on. For example, the last game the Pats played, it was a 7-3 win. And he had a career tie high in five points, his third career five-point game. He was so close to getting his sixth point. But he was on. Like he was a leader on the ice. He was really good away from the puck. He was back checking. He was penalty killing. He was, you know, keeping his teammates engaged on the power play. When Connor goes, this team just looks so, like they look up to him, right? So when he's doing this, guys want to do it as well. And, and there was one player on this team last year, Tanner Howe, came in fourth round pick and started off fourth line guy and then moved himself up now to one of the top players, probably the second, the guy right underneath Connor. I call them Batman and Robin for a reason. And that's because Tanner is Connor's sidekick. They both kind of have the same mentality. But I think it was Connor that helped Tanner Howe get to that point because Tanner, say, started off and, and they became close because they were 16. They were, you know, two of the three only 16-year-olds on this team last year, and now they're both 17 years old. So I think Connor really pushed Tanner Howe to be the player uh, that he is today. And Tanner also pushes Connor to be better. Like, they have that kind of a little bit of an internal competition on who can score more points, who can help their team defensively, you know, who can help, you know, like, they, they just complement so well, each other so well. Tanner, uh, a late birthday, so not eligible until the 2024 draft, uh, which he's quickly climbing the ranks in that one. Um, what do you see? What like what can we expect from Connor that, you, you know, maybe you've seen him practicing some tricks in, in practice, uh, trying out some different things. Uh, like, are you making notes, getting yourself prepared? Like, OK, I got to have some kind of description for this because it's going to be coming sooner than later. The Michigan, the, the lacrosse goal, it's going to happen. I've told I've told him he's got to do it. Before he's done in the WHL, he tried it a few times last year, but like he's well, Kent Johnson, you know, that he's like, that's Kent Johnson. No, like, I think he could really do it. Like, I think that's the one that that's the next one that he's going to do. What has been your, your favorite goal call? You know, we'll, we'll narrow it down. Uh, we'll do a favorite Connor Bedard call that you've, you've had. I think my favorite Connor Bedard call was when he scored number 50 on the final game of the regular season. And Top of the left circle across, here's Connor Bedard, high slot, shoots, he scores! Number 50! Connor Bedard is the youngest player in Western Hockey League history to 50 goals! Congratulations, Connor! And then his 100 point in the WHL. Here's Connor Bedard for point number 100. Scores! He's done it! 100 points as a 16-year-old in the Western Hockey League. A five-point game for Connor Bedard. What else is new? Becoming both the youngest player to 50 goals and to 100 points in league history. Uh, the building was buzzing. I kind of blacked out prior. 
Um, I, it was just, it was so exciting. I know what Connor's answer was. It was the between the legs one that was on the road. That one was exciting. I actually remember being in the saddle dome, jumping up, hitting my head at the top of the booth because I was just so pumped up. But uh, my favorite one was when he scored 50 inside the Brant Center in the final game of the regular season. For yourself, um, you mentioned a few cities that you like to visit. Is there a favorite one that you have been to that you like to call from? Or I know you guys have the, the, the Western Road Swing coming up. Is there one that you're really looking forward to visiting and calling a game from? Well, I think from just being just in the Eastern Conference last year, my favorite rink to call games in is the Saddle Dome in Calgary. I don't, I don't know what it is about it. Like I like I grew up never really having a favorite team, but there was always something about the Saddle Dome when the Flames were playing that I always excited me when I was younger. So to go have the opportunity to call games in that rink last year, to me, like I I, I just, I wake up for that one. Like that one's really exciting. Um, and then in our division, uh, I really like going to Prince Albert because the fans are loud, they're into it. Uh, the broadcast booth is like literally right over the ice. You're kind of right in the crowd. So that's a really exciting game because there's a ton of energy and I kind of go off the energy that I feel in the building. The Brand Center is obviously to me, and I think other broadcasters will, would agree with me, the best broadcast booth vantage point in the entire league so I can't complain about that as far as the western division road trip I'm really excited for Vancouver at the Langley Events Center just because they're already expected to sell out or I believe they've already sold out that rink for the the Pats game against the the Giants on November 25th so I'm really looking forward to being a part of that atmosphere in Connor Bedard's hometown yeah that one should be a, a good one for sure going to be a lot of uh, it's going to be like a a home crowd feel for you guys there, which uh, I'm sure you won't be used to on the road. Um, you know, before we before we wrap it up, what do you think the the limit is for for Connor this year? You know, it's it's going to be his last year in the WHL. We, we've accepted that at this point. Uh, what what do what heights do you think he can hit? I think the sky's the limit for him. Like nothing stopping him from probably scoring at least 120 points this year. I know he's at 29 and 15, which is really good. It's crazy. As a 15 year old, he had 28 points in 15 games. Like that's how good he was in the hub. Right. It's, it's really tough to say like, what's the limit for him? Like where, like how many goals can he score and so on and for, so forth. But I think he's really committed to trying to help this team win and get back to the playoffs. It's been five years since they've been in the postseason, right? Obviously the Memorial cup year and the league final year in 16, 17 and 17, 18 was so exciting um, but he really wants to help this team get back to the playoffs. So um, I think that's his number one goal amongst all the points and goals that I'm sure he wants to, to score this year. Well, nothing wrong with leading your team to a playoffs. And then once you get in, who knows what happens, right? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, depending on where the Pats go in the standings, obviously Winnipeg's a really strong team. Red Deer's still undefeated. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to see how this team grows over the course of the season. And then that will see, you know, where they go in the playoffs. Like, I, like I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Pats are going to be one and done in the first round. I don't think so. And the reason is, is because I think that we're going to see a lot of growth and development from these younger players. Just like we saw last year, Borea Vallis was a scratch to start the season. And now he's playing on that top line with Connor Bedard and he's a focal point of this office. Tanner Hound was a fourth line player. And now he's one of the top players in the WHL and will be a top player in that 2024 um, NHL draft. So you just never know. That's the beauty of junior hockey. You never know how guys progress. I think once you hit Jan first, you'll probably see a ton of development from some of these younger players because the Pats have a much younger team. You look at Sam Aremba, he's got off to a little bit of a slow start since that trade, but he's super talented. You look at the goaltending that they've had, the defense has been really solid. So if this team keeps, 
keeps progressing the way it should, I think that they're not just going to be a team that gets into the first round, but a team that hopefully can make some noise going into the second round. Well, Dante, this has been great. Uh, we're going to be watching. We're going to be listening. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time for me, with me today. Thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it.